The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal. I'm Joe Costello and once again, I am joined by the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings, Mr. Keith Jones, who has taken 10 seconds off for our podcast. What's up, Keith? Hey guys, just uh, just having a nice busy day here trying to solve the world's piston ring problems. You know? Are there are there piston ring problems out there in the world, Keith? Uh, many times it's perceived as a ring problem, but I'll say this: ninety nine out of a hundred times, uh, it's something being done to the ring, not by the ring. It's just a matter of you know helping the end user, we'll say, navigate that water and figure out what's actually going on. Uh, and we can almost always find, you know, find out what it is, figure out what it is, and it, it's really actually a ring issue. Very exciting stuff, and we are excited to be uh, joined by a guest from the NHRA World of Pro Stock. So we're going back drag racing this week, Keith. But this is kind of a cool one for me because it's a person who is, uh, in many ways, a legend of Pro Stock who is also relevant right now. And there's not too many people who are current legends of pro stock and also relevant right now. This driver won the first ever race during the 500 cubic inch era, the 1982 Winter Nationals. And everybody immediately knows I'm talking about Frank Iaconio and Frank Iaconio racing engines. Before we bring on Frank, you work with him to develop ring packages. What's it like working with Frank? Uh, Frank's Frank's absolutely just uh, he's a gentleman and he's a class act. Uh, he's he's great working with Frank. We bounce ideas. What do you think about this? What about trying that? And and he's just a great guy to work with because you know it's that uh, you know send out an idea, get an idea back. You know, hey, what about this? What do you maybe we should try that? How about doing it like that? And that's how we you know that's how we elevate this. This is how we you know make this a better thing. It's not just a one-sided conversation. You know, it's like, oh yeah, hey, we tried something like that and it did this. So what if we tweaked it like that? So you know, working with Frank is a, is a privilege and an honor. It's the best way I can say it. Great way to say it. I feel the same way out there at the NHRA. Whenever I speak with him on the microphone, he's building power for several of the teams out there. Let's bring him on, Mr. Frank Iaconio. Frank, welcome to Hidden Horsepower. How are you? Thank you. Very good. Very good. Is everything trying to get ready for Dallas right now? Yes, exactly. Is everything Keith said about you? accurate <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think it was a little a little too kind all right a little <laughs> over the top that it tends keith tends to be that yeah. way but um yeah especially especially the gentleman part <laughs> got it <laughs> no nope. well the, the answer there would be hey i just don't know you well enough you know <laughs> yeah right you don't know <laughs> exactly exactly so you did mention getting ready for Dallas, the NHRA heading to Dallas, um, and this uh, podcast will get up relatively soon, so I'm sure everybody out there will uh, will be into that. A big event, the NHRA season winding down. I appreciate you taking a little time for us here. And just like doing a little a little research that is not my own personal research. Like I remember walking into the Gator Nationals in 1982 and seeing your car in the staging lanes. And my dad got me real excited about you because, well, you're an Italian from New Jersey. And so is he. And so that's it. When, when I was a kid, it was all about Frank Iaconio. You're still out there doing it today. I think that's, uh, it's rare and shows that you truly love what you're doing. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be, I guess healthy enough to 
to uh, still work in the shop and and build motors and uh, you know uh, it's just uh, a very time consuming thing and uh, laborious you know so but that's what the way I grew up and and that's what I've done since I was basically 16 years old so that's kind of what I'm used to you know let's start off let's start off there the beginning right where you decided mm. cars working on cars engines where where did that come from what was the initial spark i know your original uh stalker was a 1957 chevy but even before yeah. that as a kid like where did the original initial uh, spark come from it started from uh i guess you could say bicycles you know just riding bicycles three-wheelers and then finally old enough to get a, a two-wheeler fixing all the kids the, the neighborhood kids bicycles and you know um then i was when i was 11 years old i built a go-kart out of wood and i was driving that around in the streets and <laughs> So then, uh, you know, naturally I couldn't wait to get my license, you know, and uh, I actually started restoring a Model A when I was like in high school, about 14, 15 years old, and spent pretty much every period of high school in auto mechanics restoring my car. You know, then got my my license finally when I was 17 and uh, couldn't wait to get to the track, you know. Yeah, I know that feeling. uh, Yeah, so... um, then I got drafted, uh, and then my I was working at a Pontiac dealer at the time, and, uh, you know, that was a Vietnam era. And he got me in the National Guard, so I didn't have to get go to Vietnam, and uh, went to basic, and uh, came home after basic training, had a black Bel Air 57 Chevy also, fuel-y, and drove that down to... Uh, Fort Benning and raced that at Phoenix City, Alabama on the weekends. And that's where I saw my race car, which was a business coupe down there. There was another fellow that had it. So we traded uh, bodies because the Bel Air was too heavy for the class and he had the business coupe. And I put, we just switched about the powertrains and I raced that car some more at Phoenix City and wound up driving that home and that became my first race car. Amazing. So. Well, I was going to, you know, this is a completely irrelevant question of that, but how many model car kits did they do of your car, Frank? They did, I remember um, building one. <laughs> yeah, they did the 83 Camaro and the Thunderbird. Okay, so I did the I did the Camaro. <laughs> just, just, yeah. just something not a lot of people may or may not know. Uh, but to me, that was that was a you know that's a huge recognition. You know when you've got you know there's a model car of that guy in that car. You know he's somebody. You know so just say I I, I built your car kit back in that day. <laughs> yeah, there's um yeah that was monogram that made those. Yeah they yeah it was just the Camaro the '83 and the Thunderbird. That's awesome though. Yeah, that is. You that, can still that, find them around. They I mean, they're still around. That that is that is great stuff. Um, and as you evolved, you know, I mentioned the 1982 
uh, Winter Nationals. But even prior to that, just something cool that I think, you, you know, you kind of got involved, got involved in pro stock. You stepped away after a couple of on, uh, on-track incidents, but then went right. in all the way. You got your first race win against Glidden's Fairmont. Are you kidding me? Like, that is uh, only two. He won seven of nine, and you're one of the guys to beat him. What year What year was that? 78? 78. Yeah, that's that's the first year I won, uh, which was Gainesville. That was my first race. Um, but to be honest with you, I don't recall what – I would if somebody asked me, I would have said it was probably the Pinto, but it, I don't – Maybe. As far as I know, I don't think the Fairmont ever lost a race. Hmm. Well, I got it from Competition Plus, our great friend Bobby Bennett, seven of nine that year. So maybe it wasn't the Fairmont. Yeah, yeah. But it was Glidden, and he went red in the final. Yeah, it was Glidden, right. That's That, <laughs> that, was, that was the main thing, yeah. It was Glidden. Yeah. What was it like racing yeah, it against those guys, like being in the era of Rayer Morrison Shepard, Bob Glidden, Grumpy Jenkins, those guys, a little bit later on, the professor in and around doing the IHRA thing. Like, that is what people consider the golden era of pro stock, even to this day, and you were right in the middle of it. Yeah, I was fortunate to to, uh, to race in that time, you know, and, and be, you know, racing those guys. I mean, uh, it was pretty cool. You know, I, I got into it not realizing – probably what I was even getting into, you know, um, Jenkins helped me a little bit in the beginning and, uh, sold me, sold me my first set of cylinder heads because that was in 72 in the Vega days. So I started in 72, um, and, uh, you know, saw what he was doing and that's when I ended stop racing stock. And, um, then, like you said, a couple of on-track incidences in '74, uh, and then uh, I really wasn't racing. And um, Ray Allen, uh, we were we were snowmobiling together, and uh, he was racing Supermod at the time. He had a Nova because he had won this the '72 Indy um, back when it was 32 car field. And, um, anyway, he had sold his Vega and, uh, said, why don't we build a car? And we, that's when we built the Monza and we started in 76. So then that turned into the first race, like you said before in 78. So, but that was when Glidden was pretty dominant, you know? Yeah. And all the weight break stuff. Um, And that was like the beginning of. Yeah, exactly. But then the 500 right. cubic inch stuff came around, the same rules package for the most part that is in play today, and you're still building engines. You won the first race. Uh, you won the 1982 U.S. Nationals, and you're still building engines that are relevant today for Kenny Delco, for the Quadras. How you know? How do you even ask this question, right, Keith? Like, how much has it changed from then to now? Uh, I can imagine all the way, but I would love to hear... Frank, like, how much has it changed? Well, uh, to, just to give you an idea, the first race, like you were talking about, the 82 Winter Nationals, I think we made just a little less than 1,000 horsepower when we ran uh, 782, I think it was. And nowadays you're talking almost 1,500. So that's, you know, just to 
give you a rough idea how much power we've picked up over however many years that was, you know. It's you know what it is. It's just it's the parts that are available too, you know, and everything keeps getting refined. And back in those days, it was all hand built cylinder heads, so you didn't have four or five sets of heads that were the same. You only had basically one set that was always better because they were done by hand. You know, nowadays everything's CNC'd, so you can build ten engines and they all pretty much within five horsepower. You know. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I was going to say, Frank. I mean, do you find it? And obviously, you know, you've got decades to reflect back upon. You know, you, you think about. It. I mean, you're, you know, a pro stock championship driver. You, you won races, and and you're still building real you know, race winning engines today. With the rules that are in place today, you know, fuel injection, RPM limits, you know, everything you're dealing with today, uh, compared to back in the old day. Which do you find more challenging? You know, is it harder to find the power now? Uh, is it as hard as it was back then? Uh, you know, like you say, the low-hanging fruit's long gone. So, you know, you know, how do you approach the challenge today? Of because as everybody knows, I mean, they never come at you asking for less. It's like, hey, Frank, we need to find another two. Can we find another three? I mean, you know, they're never going to ask you for less right. power. Yeah. You know, right. what, what do you, you know, what do you think these days? <laughs> well, the the in the beginning, you know. It was, we found chunks of power, you know, because everything was so primitive. You know, we we started out with regular stock cylinder heads. And so, you know, in the beginning, the early 80s, you, you'd pick up pretty big chunks, you know, 20 horsepower here uh, along the way. So that kind of tapered off. And then as, as things became refined, so, you know, fast forward to now, uh, it's a lot harder to find any power right now. I think the biggest thing right now is the intake manifold with the fuel injection because when they threw that at us, I guess it was in 2016, we don't have all the years of development that we did on the two four-barrel manifolds. So now uh, I don't think we find – we don't really find horsepower – that much in short blocks uh, as far as cams and, you know, pistons and rings and that kind of stuff. It's pretty much uh, tapped out, or if you want to, however you want to say it, you know. Uh, so most of the stuff, the, the gains like, nowadays are on track with the manifolds, and, and it's not even so much on the dyno because the manifold is, can fool you. You know, on the dyno, unless you got a uh, a hub dyno, I think the biggest gains nowadays are in the fuel injection, the intake manifold at the track. To answer your question, well, no, that that's right on. Yeah, you and I were talking about the other day. You know, the things that you know, there's that data that it's really, really hard to capture, even with a right. dyno and sophisticated dynos. How you know, how does it accelerate? How does it recover the gear change? You know, the real, right. you know, that yeah. real world testing that, you know, that you've got to go out there and do. And, uh, yeah, mm. that's, uh, you know, and, and obviously you've done, you've done well. <laughs> it's the best way well, you got to have, yeah. you got to have cars out there running to, to get any feedback. You know, that's, that's the advantage that say KB and elite have, you know, they got so many cars out there running. So you, you know, you can, Put a, put in a, a different manifold on one of the the other guy's cars and 
So every time we make a session, you know, you got feedback from, say, five cars instead of one or two cars, you know. That makes things progress a lot quicker. Data data is king. Uh, from yep. a ring point of view, yep. obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about how rings have changed over the years in the coatings. Uh, Frank uses a lot of our total conform ring, which are the slotted rings on the inside edge. Uh, when you when you went to the total conform, Frank, and I you know keep in mind I don't know the answer to this, folks. <laughs> you know, did you you know did you see improvements and what improvements you know did you see with that ring? It looks like it might you know be a little bit easier to to uh, seal the motor up. You know, like I said before, there's not too many gains. I mean, I'm talking probably, you know, on on fourteen, fifteen hundred, we're talking two or three horsepower. You know, so um, it looks like the blow by is a little better and a little bit easier to to get it to seal up. And and, and I like that because you know of, of the flexibility of that ring. You know that I'll, we'll call it you know making it easier for you because you've got a not you know a mountain of tasks to take care of. I'm only looking at one part. You're looking at a thousand. So yeah, yeah I said we did our job there. We made it just a little bit easier. Yeah, for it you. just it just um, uh, I guess you could say like a little more user friendly. Excellent, excellent. But intake manifolds, you know camshaft profiles. You know we talked about you know the other day exhaust headers. You know I mean you know everything's got to work as a you know as a unit and it. Uh, it, it's amazing to me, you know, the testing that you guys do and, and where it's been. Have you, uh, again, you know, besides manifolds and, you know, that kind of stuff, do you see much else? What, what's your next place that you want to dive into? Valve train is 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 pretty key on these things. We got some projects going on now, I think, with the that we're going to concentrate on. Uh, basically, it's valve train. And, you know, obviously we don't want you to reveal, like, exactly what it is because you're in a competitive situation out there. And for those that don't follow uh, NHRA Pro Stock on a regular basis, it's probably more competitive now than ever before. And, frankly, you you had mentioned you you need cars, right? When you're doing engines for Kenny, Delco, and uh, and Val Smeeland occasionally, um, you know, that's two. Right or so, but now you are hooked up with the Quadra family, and as I understand it, you're doing the engines in those Mustangs, and that they've got big plans and have made or are making a pretty significant commitment to the future of Pro Stock, as in that's where they want to be. And is that helping you with your R and D? Oh, definitely, sure, no question, because it's just it's more cars and uh, and and plus the, the the money part of it, you know, the monetary. You know, you're able to get more parts and look at more things and try more things, you know, as opposed to putting it all on on uh, Kenny, you know. So so everybody benefits from it, you know. Um, it it you know the you guys know it takes it takes a lot of money to do this. So I could sit here and come up with a hundred ideas, but without the money to be able to try them, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, you can you can only model so many things. You've got to you know, you know yeah. go with, we'll say that Western mentality of you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, paralysis by analysis. We'll look at it to death, but the you know the proof's in the pudding when you run it, and and that's yeah. you know, you know, you got to get it in there, stick it in there, and see how it does. There's more parts that wind up on a shelf that you don't use than the parts that you do use. You know, and unfortunately, the all this stuff is very expensive. You know, and uh, so you need. You need the money to 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 do it, you know. And the more customers you have, you know, it just 
helps. I have a question so, about the, uh, and by all means, uh, you know, continue if the question is not relevant, but, uh, you know, technology, we talk a lot about honing, we're talking about sealing up, and you say that uh, it's pretty much, you know, I don't want to call it maxed out, but to me that's a good thing. That means, you know, there's been a lot of focus put on that area and the, you know, ring seal and honing. Oh, I, re- yeah. I recall yeah. a, a story of, about you guys, like when you picked up some power, maybe maybe it was the beginning of the 19 season, perhaps, where Kenny was qualifying in the top five, and a hot hone, if you will. Uh, is that a story you can share that you guys kind of tried a different technique and it worked? Uh, he brought one of our motors down to uh, to graze at the time, and um, they hot honed it. And um, that's that's the motor that he was running good with. But uh, to be honest with you, right now we don't we don't do that. We just I just hone them cold. I don't know if that's. I think most people do hot hot hone them, um, but um, I'm just not, and I don't have the equipment to do that. I'm pretty happy with our our blow by numbers are between two and three, so I've I haven't yet to see a a hot honed engine be any better than that. The, nowadays the blocks are so good, they basically when you get them hot, they kind of just get bigger. They don't really distort or get out of round. Um, they just the cylinder just gets bigger in diameter when it gets hot, and so I I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying it's it's a waste of time, but like I said, I'm not in a position. I don't have the equipment to do it, so we're still uh, honing them cold. You know, I'll, I'll jump in just a little bit. It's, it's interesting you brought that up, Frank, because you know, hot honing was a, a you know to call it in vogue, or you know the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, say ten years ago. Uh, yep. Everybody, hot, you know, hot hone, hot hone, hot hone, and and it's yep. there are still guys out there doing it. Uh, most of the oh, guys yeah. that I deal with that are doing it are, are aluminum block guys, sprint car guys, stuff yeah. where you know because the aluminum really moves so bad. But uh, exactly. most of yeah. my iron guys have gotten away from it. You know, not not yeah. saying anything uh-huh. bad about it, but most of them have gone back to cold honing. Like Frank said, uh, the yeah, hone yeah. heads are better, the blocks are better. You know, everything yeah. is just technology moved forward. Uh, Bulk of the guys that I would don't hot hone anymore, and they, you know, they're getting really good ring seal and good numbers. And it's that's not to say yeah. that there isn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, some something to be found there, but most yeah, of them right, don't. Most right. of them just, you know, just yeah, like it I was said, such it's, it's, expensive and a mess. You know, you got two hundred degree hot honing oil flying all over the place. And, you know, they, it just uh, it was uh, kind of you know, yeah. kind of intense. <laughs> yeah, th- like you said, the honing heads um, and the blocks. Um, I don't know. The other, you know, the other. I think it all started too with NASCAR, you know. And naturally, those things are out there, whatever they run them things at, two fifty, two hundred and eighty degrees. Yep. I could see that. Okay, you need to hot hone it because you're you're in a totally different, you know, temperature range. Our cars, we when we leave the trailer, we're fifty degrees, mm-hmm. you know, and we're maybe ninety degrees at the end of the run. So, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to make it hotter than 90 degrees when you're honing it if you're not running any hotter than that in the car? So that's kind of yeah. Like you say you're, the you're, way you're I barely bringing it. it up to ambient temperature. Yeah. Yeah, we leave the trailer at 50, sometimes in the 40s, and at the end of the run, it's it's pretty much always 90. So why <laughs> why hot hone it? I don't know. 
here's one for and, you. And you were on with the numbers on NASCAR, like 280. And, and again, going to that, running at that extreme temperature, yeah, you know, bringing you know, you're, you, that may be the case for those guys. And I do know that those teams do do that. So, mm. like you say, kind of the right, you know, right thing for the right environment. What is it like to work with Keith at Total Seal? And when you're coming up with ideas uh, or concepts, things that maybe are new or fresh. How is it? How is it to work with Keith? And you know, what kind of pushback do you get, or vice versa? Does he ever come to you with an idea? Well, I mean, it, to work with anybody, like all the companies we deal with, it, it's always nice to have somebody that you feel comfortable with talking to, or ordering parts, or you know, like Keith said before, b- bouncing ideas around. So whether it's somebody, you know, at Diamond when we order pistons, or somebody at Comp Cams. Um, it, it's it's just a pleasure to have somebody that you feel comfortable talking to, and and Keith is, you know, we've we've dealt with each other for a lot of years, and uh, it's it's just a pleasure. That's great. If uh, if you could go back and tell yourself something in 1982 from now. About the performance of the <laughs> about the performance of the car, how to do something, something to advance the ball back then, you know, like uh, back to the future style. What mm. what would it be? Probably the probably the bell in the bell housing, the clutch. I mean, there's obviously there's a million things, but you know, as far as making power goes, like, but just to say the motor's the same. Probably the the clutch would be something that. You know, you could probably make a pretty good gain with. We didn't. We didn't do anything back then, as far as we just ran a an L88 disc with a with a long style pressure plate, and you just put the thing in the car, and that was it. It never came out. So wow. we didn't start doing it. We didn't start doing clutch stuff till uh, later 80s, I guess. We started messing around with that counterweight in in spring, and actually realizing that it made a difference well here's a here's a dumb question some guys you know obviously you've got decades under your belt and and there'll be a couple little things i want to throw out here one because you know i'm a huge pro stock fan and and have been forever uh do you still have any of your old cars oh no no i don't all gone every every car got sold yeah because some guy, you know, it's funny is you know the guys, some of them hung on to them. They still got them. Yeah, it's out in the shop, it's out in the garage. You know, yeah, I, I love yeah. seeing the resurgence of you know nostalgia pro stock stuff out there. You know, the guys were at the U.S. Nationals. It was great seeing some of those cars. You know, some were tributes, some mm. were real. Uh, it, yeah. it was great seeing. So I just had to throw that out. I didn't know if you still owned any of your old cars. Uh, well, Terry and, Adams and, has my Cutlass, the my actual Cutlass that I ran up until like '97, '98. Um, Terry Adams races that car in the nostalgia thing. Oh wow! Oh, very cool. Cool. That's, yeah, that's yeah. That's and it is this. It is the car. It is the car. Hasn't been repainted or anything. It. it I saw it at Charlotte. Uh, he had it at Charlotte, the first Charlotte this year, the four wide. Um, and it it's really nice shape. So anyway, that's but that's the only car that I know of that's around. Uh, that was my next question. Going on that thread, if you were going to have one of your cars back, which one would you want? Probably the '83 car, the one they made the model of. Yeah, yeah. It's a toss-up between the '79 
The 79 was a pretty good car, too. That's the one we won Indy with and won the first 500-inch race. But I probably won more races with the with the 83 car. You know, you bring up 1983, and uh, people who have followed your career, that was the year that, um, you know, how could we say it? Mm-hmm. But the, the championship was robbed from you is a good way to say it. <laughs> if, yeah. we're, if we're not yeah. pulling any punches yeah. anymore, right. uh, that yeah. was kind of yeah. a bad deal, guys, uh, mm-hmm. f- at the World Finals. But um, mm. after a very strong season, how do you look back on that now? You know, we've had some weird timing system things happen um, that have been, mm. I, I feel like, uh, you know, addressed and corrected or addressed at very least recently. But um, when you look back at that, Frank, like, that's got to bug you. I try I try not to look back on it. <laughs> um, no, it's just, it, it was just a thing where they wouldn't rerun it and um... – uh, you know, every I see Steve Gibbs. Steve Gibbs was the race director at the time, and it was his decision. And every time I see him to this day, he apologizes. That one of that's one of the biggest regrets he has that that what happened. That he was he they were wrong about it. And for know? for those that don't know, I really don't want to bring it back up with Frank listening because it's got to be very painful. So go look it up. It's just terrible. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Do you think that that was um, yeah. deliberate, like, or just an anomaly? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I would say it was. I mean, it was, it was definitely bogus uh, because the speed didn't match the ET, and then the next round he ran what he normally ran. Right. Um, I was qualified number one. He was probably. Uh, ninth, I guess, or sixteenth. I don't know what they did at the time. Um, and uh, so the, ne- the next round coming around uh, for second round, he ran, you know, like he would normally run. Uh, and then the ET when he ran me was was bogus. It was, you know, uh, I don't know if it was a rear wheel start, but it happened again. The following that was at the World Finals, and then the next year in the spring at Gainesville it happened again with him racing Ken Dondero on one of Jenkins's cars so it was something with the car yeah with his car something bizarre and uh, again we'll you know yeah well something hanging down or something so you know? that the car is moving and you haven't tripped the beams and you're yeah. getting like a rolling start and you don't go red like a rear wheel start like yeah, a rear the, wheel start something the red like light should have came on and it didn't yeah that's that's basically what happened. And it, was, it was a red light start, but it didn't show up red. And this one had championship implications, as is you did not win the championship well, yeah, because I, of this. Like I said, I I won the, I won the previous the race before the World Finals. I won Fremont, which we were at Fremont. So I beat Shepard in the final at Fremont. We came down to to Orange County. I qualified number one. Um, so Sunday morning. I was 50 points ahead. I guess nowadays it would be five. Um, and I, you know, I just, and I qualified number one and I just needed to have a decent day. And um, that happened first round. So that oh. was it. And Shepard goes on and wins the championship by going at like, you know, a yeah. couple rounds. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I admire your ability to move forward and keep racing and have a great career. 
Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, nowadays we see what everybody thinks in real time, thanks to the social media, right? Everybody goes on there and complains and gets angry. I can't imagine what you, oh, would, yeah. what you would have said if that was available, but you handled oh, yourself very yeah. well. <laughs> well. Well, I'll just say it this way real quick. He's an Italian from New Jersey. You can just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, I couldn't do too much because um, you know you're in their you're in their playground. So if you want to keep racing, um, they're really like you know, as opposed to trying to sue them or whatever you want to, you know, trying to make a big deal about it. And, and so it's either you know if you want to keep racing. Uh, the best thing was just to move on. Yeah. Know? No, that makes sense. And you're still racing. You know, you're still out there to this day, and it is amazing. So when you look back at the, you know, the Warren Johnsons, the Grumpy Jenkins, the, you know, Bob Glidden's, mm. the, you know, Rare Morrison, um, you know, who did you have the best relationship with and who was your most intense rival of those legends? Um. Best relationship was um, I had a pretty good relationship with Glidden, um, and and uh, David David Rear too. You know David and Buddy, they, we were pretty good with them. We'd go out to eat and stuff. Um, and Lee Shepard, uh, Lee was quiet. You know, um, Warren, I never really bothered with too much, um, but. Um, but I was, we were pretty good. Me and Glenn were pretty good friends. He, I was, he let me use his shop one time. Went up there and in the Monza days, you know, um, and the, uh, you know, we 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 had a we had a about a year or two that we didn't talk. Uh, we had <laughs> we had a little problem. Uh, I beat him in Seattle and. Uh, he thought he won, and my wind light came on, and I thought I won. And so we didn't talk for about a year, I guess a year and a half. Um, but uh, then after that, we that kind of blew over. You know, we became close again. See, it all worked so, out. It all works out in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just one of those things, you know. Yeah, those things happen from so, time to time. So yeah, yeah. I mean, do do you feel like um, you know Kenny's had a quick car uh, at times, and the Quadra boys know how to drive real well. They're good. Uh, do you feel like something is 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 percolating over there with the teams that you're working with? Like, do you feel like the uh... yeah? I just can't. We just can't get everything. Can't get our our uh, ducks lined up. Um, I don't have. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest problem nowadays we can't get parts. So I can't give the Quadras the same power that Kenny has because I can't get the parts. Um, the, the the engines that the Quadras have are the ones that I inherited from when they were dealing with Nick. So I kind of just did what I could do with them, and that's basically what they have. Um, so we have some other parts in the works, um, blocks and stuff like that. And, um, so, but it, you know, it's not going to happen until next year. So, 
You know, we we just can't get we can't get parts. Yeah. It's just yeah, there's like 15 horsepower difference between that stuff and Kenny stuff, you know, which which is a couple hundreds, you know. Yeah. So and then the the I don't the the quadra cars, I don't know. We we seem to have like the blue car at the last race it's just got a miss in it and we can't find it. The orange car was slow. Um so we parked it and that's why Christian was driving Val's car. Sure. At uh, the last race, and and it ran a little better, ran good speed in the back half uh, compared to the orange car. So they rewired the orange car. Um, uh, was down at Justin Elks. They rewired it, uh, brakes, um, wheel bearings. You know, any anything you could think of to slow it down. They changed. So now we're going to try and run that car Wednesday. So we're going to put the motor back in the orange car and try to run that. And we still have to fix the blue car. The blue car has just got a miss in it. And we can't find out what, figure out what's wrong with it. So The challenge of pro stock. Is there is there something you would say is the greatest misconception for people about pro stock? Like I heard you talking earlier about just how uh, laborious it is, right? Like building engines, taking them apart, putting them back together. Te- you know, it's just... A constant nonstop yeah, it, work. It's, it, yeah, it's it's hard to explain. I mean, it just the motors just just everything you touch, every little part is, is has to be massaged and machined or cut or you know there's nothing that you don't have to work on. It's some um, it's they just take a lot of time to to build. Um, you know. It, Luckily, like we get our cylinder heads and and intake manifolds from CFE, which and that's all CNC'd. So, but if 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 I had to do cylinder heads and manifolds and forget it, I couldn't couldn't do it. Wow! So interesting stuff. But it's still a lot of work, even with even getting that stuff. You know, not having to work on that stuff, it's still still time consuming. Frank, at the end of each episode, we ask for uh, advice for the next generation. I'm going to let Keith ask his final question or two, and then I'm going to hit you with that. So I just want to put that in the back of your mind. Be ready as we wind down here on this episode of Hidden Horsepower. Keith, what do you got for Frank? Final questions. Well, the, the question is, you know, being the you know the consummate racer that you've been all these years, Frank, and the consummate engine builder that you are, is you know is the desire still there? To, you know, to we'll say to you know to let the clutch out. Uh, you know, you guys are at the track testing. Uh, hey, Frank, hop in. You know, throw her out for 100 feet. You know, I mean, mm. you ever get that chance? Yeah. You still want to do that? Yeah, I think about it sometimes. I, I don't know if, how I would feel once I sat in there, you know. Um, I feel physically that I could. Um, but, you know, to do it just to to go – you know, like you say, 100 or 200 feet or something, or even a quarter mile, even make a full run, uh, what's the point? You know, if I'm not going to race, um, I mean, it would be just something to uh, to get my jollies off, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to wake up on Sunday morning and be able to cut double all lights, you know. Yeah, but what's wrong hey, with hey, that? Hey, you, you, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I don't know. 
Well, but, I don't know. But, you know, it's, but you that's know how it is right nowadays. There, if you're if you're not if you're not in the double O range or or O twenty or better, O fifteen, you know that kind of you're not going to win. I don't care how fast you are. But and 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 I agree with you. But what your answer was exactly what I kind of expected because you know being the racer and I, I understand this completely. Uh, if you're not going there to race, what's the point? Yeah, well, it's just to just to let the clutch out. Um, but I mean, I I guess if if the oper- I I obviously don't have my license anymore or nothing. So, you know, and the other thing is when I raced, we didn't have all this safety equipment to to put on. So, you know, you got headphones and you got the Hans device and uh, full full helmet. Like I'm not used to all that stuff. So. I don't know how I would even. I don't know. You'd be you fine. Know. You'd be fine. You'd adapt in two <laughs> I seconds. Say, I bet you'd adapt just <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. You'd be fine, Frank. Like, didn't you tell me like last year or two years ago? You know, the whole pandemic thing's got my memory all warped. But you were talking about getting in a car and r- running or competing. Well, we were supposed to do. We were supposed to do something at Indy. Um, you know, it was the fifty fiftieth year pro stock thing. Yes. Um, and and I would have been, you know, basically the only guy that spanned the whole era because I, you know, we raced we raced in '72, so it's almost the beginning. And until now, you know, there, there would have been kind of a a novelty kind of thing, you know. Uh, but then, you know, that that whole the pandemic hit, and uh, you know, yeah. we were going to wrap the car like. We were going to wrap the car like the Iconio and Allen uh, paint job on the 79 car, I think. So That would have been cool. But, yeah. Well. Yeah, it would have been cool. Yeah. Well, 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 I think we need to start you know, uh, you know, the uh, GoFundMe or whatever it takes to do that kind of thing, because I think <laughs> that would be absolutely awesome. I agree. <laughs> Got to do it. Can't, yeah. can't let the pandemic win. We have, to, we have to do it. All right, Frank. Next generation, there are kids at the track. You see them at the ropes. Some of them are going to want to be involved. Some of them are going to want to be machinists, engine builders, mm. crew members, race car drivers. You know how it goes. Uh, what would your advice be to the next generation? So many say that the next generation needs needs advice from folks like yourself. What would you say? Well, I mean, I guess it, the, the biggest thing is how much desire they have, you know, that that's the, what drives you, you know, it depends on how they look at it. If they really want it bad enough and they're willing to, to work, you know, unlimited hours like we did when we were young, it's the same old thing, you know, like follow your dream kind of thing. But, um, on the other hand, it's not, it's not that easy, you know, cause finances be, get in, get in the way, you know? Like a young person, I mean, you want to you want to have a job and you want to make money, but but um, you know, there's there's places to to work, um, you know, shops that hire kids that are really really want to do it and and are capable of of picking up on it and learning, you know. The debate, like I said, the the most important thing is how much desire you have to do it, whether it be driving or machining or Whatever it is, engine building. That's it. Desire and uh, effort, right? You put in the effort. And effort, yeah, right. Willing to put the effort in, and and you know how much drive you got to have. 
You could have the dream, but not the drive. You know? <laughs> exactly. And that, that there's a lot of that attracted uh, by drag racing. Um, Frank, yep. excellent job. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think this was illuminating. And the idea that you're still out there and you're on the quest for power, always on the quest for power. And you got several cars and some young drivers that are running your stuff that at any moment they can go double O and uh, go out there and win a race. I appreciate it. Keith, say uh, final words. Uh, again, just I, really, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Like you said, you, you've, you've got a job that you're putting in a mountain of time, uh, working on these engines, always trying to push it to the next level. Like you said, that comes at the expense of your time, and I appreciate you taking the time out uh, to do this. Uh, again, really appreciate it, and we'll look forward to seeing you this weekend in Dallas. Yep. Okay, we'll see you down here. And there he goes, Frank Iaconio. Keith, that was just awesome. We like... There was a roller coaster of emotions during this interview. Oh, a- a- absolutely. Frank brought up some stuff in the past that I don't think he necessarily wanted to bring up. Yeah. Uh, but he he faced it and chin up and you know gave us some good details on you know on, on his whole span you know this huge career that he's had. Yeah, it has it has been great. And again, out there still building power. Uh, and I know that Fernando Quadra and those guys, and of course Kenny Delco, uh, they they feel good about where they're going and the way the program is evolving. But now, you know, I just didn't want to bring up the 1983 Pro Stock World Championship and to tell the story while Frank, you know, is is got to suffer through it. But the whole deal is this, okay? Uh, let me let me let me position it in a different way, if you don't mind, Keith. Jerry Gwynn, you know, Daryl Gwynn's dad, Jerry Gwynn. Um, oh, used, yeah. used to race at Miami Hollywood Speedway in his double B funny car, the baby Huey. And uh, occasionally they would book him in to match race a jet car, right? A jet car. And uh, performance wise, they were a little down to the jet car. And so what they would do is they would go get a long like a brush, like a broom, like a like a push broom kind of thing. Like imagine like a, you know, a long push broom for doing like a broom of finish and concrete. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they would yep. put it behind the front wheel of the car. And they would be able to leave on, like, the top yellow, and the car would be moving before the stage beam would break because of this brush thing that would uh, keep the beam uh, broken, like the tire, right? Would be would be like a long—the tire was, like, six feet long in the staging beams, if you could imagine. And that was Jerry's oh, sure. way of tricking the timing system so that he could make a really good run uh, against the jet car. And it was— it totally fine because it was an exhibition deal. Well, imagine using that theory, that same theory, occasionally in competition where your car launches and the red light doesn't come on because something is hanging down from your car and it is used occasionally as a cheat. Or let's say we're not cheating. Let's say it's just an incident, like something happens to be hanging low on the car and catches the stage beam. It's 1983. It's probably not, uh, you know, we're using photo cells back then probably as opposed to infrared beams. Um, I don't know exactly off the top of my head when Compulent came in, but you get the gist, right? Imagine losing a championship on something bizarre like that. Your opponent runs his best ET by two-tenths of a second, and then the next run goes right back to the average. That would be pretty tough to yeah. take. Yeah, there, there, there's something going on at the fish market that day. Yeah, that's a way to say it. That's one way to say it. And, uh, you know, without accusing anybody, because, you know, you can't now. Um, it's too much time, too much water over the bridge. But everyone, you know, you can go read and look look up the story. Uh, Frank handled it real well, as well as you could. I know people would walk away 
right after something like that. Instead, he went on and won many more races, and uh, and has had a great career. And I think we, I think we brought a lot out. So appreciate that. Want to remind everybody. Hidden Horsepower, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. We encourage you to subscribe. Of course, write a review, rate and review if you enjoy the shows. we got more coming, especially into the off-season. Planning on PRI, doing some stuff live there. It is great. Plus the Trackside Tech Talks. The one in Dallas, we, we need not even mention it, but there will be one in Vegas that will be coming up as well. Keith, are you the guy in Dallas and Vegas? I am. Uh, I will be there with Ed Keebler from Rottler, and uh, maybe Lake will be at the Vegas one. I'm not sure if he's going to attend yet or not, but uh, uh, myself and Ed Keebler will certainly be there. How great have these trackside tech talks been received? Oh, extremely well. Better. You know, the first one that we did, and obviously you were there, we really did not know what to expect. You know, are we going to have, you know, crickets chirping? Are we going to have a full house? Uh Really, like I really went into the thing, had no idea. And, and it was a packed house. We've done a couple so far. It's been a packed house. Uh, really gone well. Great response with the, you know, with the audience. Uh, excellent questions. And we look forward to doing it, you know, continuing on. Uh, it, it's one of those things I knew when we did this. We talked about doing this a few years ago. Then, of course, the pandemic kicked in. Uh, and really thought we had something going on. And I've, I've had interest. So people call me from other manufacturers going, hey, hey, how's that working? And I'm like, yeah, it's working really well. So we're looking forward to doing many more. That's great. Now, if somebody out there in the audience is uh, interested, has questions about their engine, their project, their uh, way to evolve their technology, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, just you know, check out the website, totalseal.com. Uh, my email address is on there. All the other guys are on there. A lot of excellent, excellent tech tips, videos. Check out our YouTube page. A uh, lot of great information there. And if you don't see an answer for what you're looking for, hey, pick up that phone, give us a call, send us an email, uh, however you want to reach out. We, we, we embrace that. We want to hear from you, and, and we want to answer your questions. So check us out, TotalSeal.com. Keith, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it again. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at WFO Joe or listen to my podcast, WFO Radio, which should be right next to Hidden Horsepower when you go find it. Appreciate everybody out there, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal.